0: Alright, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Parents, sorry that I hit you with that um, at this moment, that I didn't give you more warning. But, I will say, as a parent of young kids, I've gotten pretty good at tuning kids out um, when I need to. My wife isn't here to amen that. Um, So, listen... It's not going to bother me. Uh, We are patient as a church and will be gracious, whatever this time may hold in that regard. Honey, can I get an amen on this? That that as a young parent, I've grown, or, well, yeah, parent of young children, we've grown accustomed to ignoring, tuning kids out when need be. Yeah, okay. I didn't hear that, but I'll take it. My wife doesn't like to be put on the spot. <laughs> oh, all right. Anyway, uh, Romans 12. So in the last few weeks, uh, we started out by looking at our purpose as a church, uh, glorifying God as disciples of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus everywhere, Holdenville to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Um, then I've been answering the question the last few weeks. Okay, if that is our purpose, rather than just saying and getting excited about that as a purpose uh, and sending you off with that excitement, but nothing to fulfill that excitement with, how then do we do that? Um, So there are some means that we have to be able to accomplish that purpose, and that's what we've been walking through the last few weeks. Uh, So we've said that uh, we know, go, and grow. We know God, and we know the gospel. And and we spent three weeks looking through that. Uh, Not only do we know God, we know the gospel, but we then go with the gospel. And and so I I intentionally switched this order up some, because in our minds, the order happens, know, grow, and go. But I think what we have a tendency to do is, and you guys could agree with me or not you assess this for your own self is once we know the gospel and we hear okay now we have to grow in the gospel going with the gospel is uncomfortable and so we I think as a people have a tendency to stay and the grow in the gospel and use that as a distraction from going with the gospel and so yes as we go with the gospel, we need to continue to grow in the gospel, and when you come to know it, you, you do need to grow in it, but we need not wait around in the growth phase until we think we're ready for the go phase, that the grow and the go happen simultaneously, and to remind us of that, I kind of flipped the order up to say we know, go, and grow. I know that's a lot of O's for you to keep straight as you hear me say, um, But those are the means through which we fulfill this purpose of glorifying God as disciples of Jesus Christ, making disciples of Jesus everywhere. So this week, I want us to land on the the grow phase, and we're going to spend this week and next week kind of digging into the grow. Grow in the gospel. And so I think before... I go any further that we've got to be reminded of the gospel the gospel is more than just okay believe this and then have salvation and then go about your go about your life the gospel is an all the time occurring thing like we we as the song we sang we preach the gospel to ourselves not just once but on a regular basis we remember the gospel the gospel works in us and changes us and so Also, I'm going to say the gospel a lot within these next few minutes. Uh, So I think it's also necessary that we remember um, what that is, so that we remember what is transforming us, so that we don't just assume that each other knows what the gospel is, um, but that we're considering it. Um, So uh, the idea that God is perfect, he is all good and He is all great. I mean, He is morally perfect. There is no darkness in Him. There is no failing. There is no even slight bit of hint of not quite perfect. I mean, He is good. The definition and standard of good. And He is great that He has all power. He knows all things. He is all present. Uh, he sovereignly rules over all things. He providentially orders all things he is over everything he is good and he is great and because of that he deserves our worship but our trouble is in our sin we would rather worship us than worship him and if you say I never worshiped myself I would challenge that at least Uh, and, and say that probably at some point in your life it has been your pattern to do that Meaning that rather than acknowledging God, thanking Him, and being devoted to Him, our default nature as people is to say, What do I want to do? How do I feel? Where do my feelings lead me to speak or act? And in the way we're devoted to ourselves or what we want and what feeds us, and so then. We end up worshiping ourselves rather than Him. Worship being what we're devoted to, not who we sing songs to. Singing songs is a form thereof of worship. But as we're devoted to ourselves and what we want, we fail to worship God and be devoted to Him. And that is exactly what He deserves. And so in that sense, Romans 3.23 is true of all of us, that we fall short of God's glory and we enter into sin. Every single one of us, person in the world, falls short of God's glory of worshiping him as he deserves and rather doing what we want being devoted to what we want and what suits us and yet God rather than saying you deserve separation from me eternally and there's no solution to it because that's what your sin deserves he said yes that's what you deserve but I'm going to make another way And so he sent Jesus to come and live perfectly. He died, was tortured, and then executed, not because he deserved it, not because he had sins that deserved that torture and execution, but because of our sins, so that God would provide a perfect sacrifice, one for one, one person, perfect person, for all people on our behalf, so that as we trust that sacrifice his death and then resurrection we'll get into this a little closer to easter but jesus resurrection is so important because when he died the declaration was you're a blasphemer you're claiming to be god and you're a man you're not that was the sentence that he got and rightfully so if in under jewish law that were the case he would have died justly and so in his declaration to be god and suffer that punishment when he was raised from the dead, God was saying, no, what he said is actually true. He is God in the flesh, and I'm going to show it by raising him back to life that his death was not for his own sake. His death was for your sake, and I'm going to prove it. And now he lives and reigns forevermore at God's right hand, God the Father, God the Son in heaven together forevermore. He was raised from the dead. His resurrection then enabled us to stop trying to please God, stop trying to earn His attention and favor with Him? Because we can't. You showing up here week after week after week, you opening up your Bible at home day after day after day, you being devoted to prayer before Him does not save you. It cannot and it will not because it will never change your past. It will never change my past. Nobody's. The only way, not by works, the only way that we could be saved is by trusting the sacrifice that God gave us in Jesus so that God could be, as Paul says, the just in punishing our sin in Jesus and the justifier, the one who declares us not guilty through Jesus. God is both just and the justifier at the same time because of what Jesus did. We trust that we can never do what God did on our behalf. And so we trust Jesus to get to heaven. That is the gospel, and it deserves... That message deserves a response, a response of trust and faith. So when we come to that point of not only saying, I believe that to be true, but I believe it to the extent that I'm going to invest my life in it, that's faith. Then we begin growing and going with that message. We begin growing in it and going. And so the first way that I, I think it grows us, okay, We're going to look at two main ways. This week it grows us in community. Next week it grows us in godliness. Our faith, for those that were in our Sunday school class, our faith produces works. That's next week. This week, Romans chapter 12, we grow in community. So here's what I want you to think about in this regard. You don't have a job. just pretend, okay? You don't have a job. High school, middle school, you are with me in this, okay? Whether you're 16 or not, you don't have a job. You get a job, okay? When you get a job, what you don't do, and I think you all know this, but I'm just clarifying to make sure we're on the same page. What you don't do is show up at that place of employment, wherever it may be, even if you're self-employed. Sit down in a chair, even if sitting is part of the job, Pull out your cell phone and play Tetris. That's not what you do, right? Or, or whatever you want to put in place of that. You sit down and watch a TV show or, or whatever. When you get a job, it's not, it's not saying, Israel, okay, you're hired as second in command of Amazon, assistant CEO, right? And when that declaration is made, you sign on the dotted line, here's what you're going to get paid, here are your responsibilities, you're hired you show up for the first day of work, you sit down and play Tetris. It's not the fact that, and you just happen to be right front and center. That's not what happens, right? I mean, when you get a job, it's not the hiring process that means that you have a job. It's not the declaration that you are. You don't keep that job until you work, until you fulfill the job, okay? Now, What I'm not saying in this comparison is that when we trust Jesus in the gospel, that we're not really saved until we work. What I'm saying is that's only the beginning of what happens. The declaration of you getting hired in the job process is only the beginning of what happens. Then you start to work. Then you invest. They train you. You grow up in that position. You do the work. Maybe you get promoted. I don't know. Maybe not. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. You have a job and you're earning money. You're getting a paycheck. You're fulfilling the obligation. You're you're in the scenario, and it's working, figuratively and literally. When we trust the gospel, that's only the beginning. We are trusting the gospel, so it continues to work in us to grow us up, and that's what we get into in Romans chapter 12. Paul has just laid out in the previous 11 chapters, what the gospel looks like and he's been talking to a group of people that are this group and this group and he's saying no the same gospel is the gospel for both of you jew gentile you neither one is better off neither one is separate you all need jesus you're all saved through jesus forget about the law forget about the prophets forget about previous revelation jesus is it you need him trust him, now you're one body, and once you come into that body, you trust Jesus as Lord, then these things should be happening, and that's what 12 through 16 outlines, then how the gospel applies, and so that's where we get into things in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9, and this is going to read a little bit like the book of Proverbs, if you're familiar with that, it's kind of just short statements all stacked together, but I think that there's some consistency. It's not just statements that don't relate to one another. There's some consistency in that, and we'll pull that out. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, Just to clarify, he's saying don't think of yourself as better than people regardless of why you would think that. You're not smarter, you don't have more common sense. Well, maybe you are smarter, maybe you have more common sense, maybe you have more money, maybe you have a higher position, but that doesn't make you any better than anyone else that you would compare yourself to. Don't be haughty in that, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is God's word to us. What Paul is outlining for us in these verses is this idea that as the gospel is at work in you as individuals, it's going to affect you, it's going to affect your role in the church around you and the church's reach into the community. You, the church around you, and the church's reach into community. So the first thing that we see is the gospel grows us up. Just as we watch kids grow, Yeah, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I knew so-and-so when they were just this big. Like we watch kids grow up. Parents watch kids grow up. Not parents watch kids grow up. And parents of other kids watch other kids grow up. I mean, you will say, I saw, you know, when they were that high, now they're like grace. We'll pick on grace now. Like grace, I didn't see you when you were this high, but you were this high at one point in time. Because now you're not. You're, I don't know, somewhere in here. Right? You've grown up some. All all of us, I've grown up some. I'm growing up some. We grow up, the gospel, spiritually speaking, the same way that we mature physically and emotionally. The gospel grows us up spiritually. So we begin to see that, like in verse 9, the very first verse, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, so that we flee what is evil. There ought to be a growing conviction in us to turn away from that which is wrong, that which is evil. In some cases, it's clear, that, that idea is clear to us, and we say, yes, amen, right? So, like, there's some big things that we look at as evil, and we, it's hard for us to argue about this, right? Let's just say, like, drugs, murder, promiscuity. And if you don't know what promiscuity is, I'm not defining it for you right now. I mean, we can name off a handful of things, and we say, absolutely, that's evil. We've got to flee that. Here's where I think that we have trouble. It's when we take things that are actually morally neutral. So I'm going to point out two things, shopping and sports. Like there's nothing good or bad about going shopping. It's not a moral decision, right? It, It just is. You go and you buy something. This can become evil if it takes too high of an importance in any of our lives. Sports is the same way. There's nothing inherently good or evil about sports itself. Now, cheating in sports, this is evil, right? But just playing a sport, participating in a sport is neither good nor bad. Right? Somebody's not evil if they don't do it. Somebody's not evil if they do it. But it begins to be a problem when that thing takes too much of importance in our lives. I don't care whether you're middle school, high school, adults, watching sports, investing money in sports tickets at the expense of something else or whatever. I mean, if it gets too high of an importance, it's an issue. And this could be true of anything that has no strict moral value, okay? Those two things are just two things that I picked because they're easy. And so we get into a problem, I think, when we say, okay, yeah, these things right here are clearly evil And yet in our own lives, all of us have whatever we could put in the place of those two things, shopping or sports. We have things that are neither good nor bad that we elevate to a level that is too high. We are devoted to those things rather than to God, rightfully so, who we should rightfully be devoted to, right? And we miss the evil that's right in front of us. We say, I don't have this evil over here, and we miss these things. This is where we need to abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good above all things our aim is to glorify god to evidence him in our life so whatever it is that we're devoted to if the end of the day if that aim is not to make much out of god if the aim is somehow to make much out of me or to fulfill what i want then it has a place where it can be or is potentially evil in our lives god's worship is the measure of that are we making much of god with this or not we abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good it points us specifically rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer i think this is kind of a chain reaction that we see the hope that we have in jesus through the gospel regardless of our circumstances we look forward to that so as circumstances arise in our lives that are troubling that are difficult we remember this is tough, but there's coming a day that's better for us. Like in a Romans eight eighteen sort of way where Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are in no way to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us in Christ in that day. That there's coming a day, those 10,000 years upon 10,000 years of being in Christ's presence in His glory far outweigh the present sufferings that we experience whatever that is right now and so we rejoice in that hope not in our circumstances but in the hope that we have which leads us to then be patient in tribulation in those seasons of our life that are difficult and struggle the hope that is to come produces patience in us and it reminds us we need God desperately not just for salvation but for life his strength in us, his presence through us, and it points us to then be constant in prayer. Prayer is a verbal declaration. God, I need you. Somebody else needs you. I'm asking you. I'm declaring, I'm praising who you are, but then I'm coming before you, and I'm asking you, intervene. Do what you do. God, save this person. Help this person out. Heal this person. Heal me. Help me. Give me strength. Our rejoicing in hope leads to our patience in tribulation, leads to being constant in prayer because we see the need that we have constantly. In all of these things, the gospel reminds us that we grow up spiritually. But it also reminds us that we grow together. The gospel also grows us together. And there's a number of statements in this passage that show that. As we grow up individually, we grow together corporately We love and live together as Christians. And here I want to address something very specific. Because I think it's pertinent to exactly what's said here. There is this idea, and it's stated a couple of different ways. Like, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Or maybe I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I mean, it, it could be said a number of different ways part of that is true when we hear the gospel going to church is not a function of being saved right if you trust jesus and you go to church then you're saved right it's not said however we cannot god's word does not let us separate being part of the church from following jesus it is necessary that we are with the church Presently, visibly, with the church. Listen, technology is a wonderful thing, even right now, streaming live on Facebook. Like, this is a wonderful thing. There are people in our community that cannot get up out of their house and come and be here, and we love that we could serve them by allowing them to be part of this service in this way, through technology. Tremendous thing. And yet, it's also a way for us to neglect a necessary function of being part of the body of Christ and being present with the church it's necessary and trying to separate those two is like trying to taking the head away from the body like this is a gruesome a gruesome picture when you see this played out in a movie and somebody's beheaded and the head rolls down that's a gruesome picture right you don't want to watch that When we try to take being a Christian away from being part of the body of Christ, we're severing the head from the body. And I feel comfortable in saying that because over and over in the New Testament, Paul and others use the example that the church is the body of Christ, that Christ is the head of the church. You cannot separate the two. When Jesus was here, Jesus was not off by himself doing his own thing. He was part and of people's lives. He invited 12 dudes, guys, not showing disrespect, 12 guys to be intimate part of his life. And then even then, three that were present with in every aspect. Yes, there were times where he got away by himself to pray and spend time with the Father, but those were short, necessary, good and right model for us, but short times. He spent most of his time with people with his disciples and then reaching others it is necessary for us to function together as the body of christ and as we see some of these statements we'll see that like verse 13 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality contribute to the needs of the saints other believers how are we going to do that without being part of a body and listen this church is not the only place Let's be honest. I love that all of you are here, members, visitors, whatever the role is. But there are other churches in other places that are are doing the same thing, that are following Jesus in the same way that he's called us to. Right? And, And here, just another side note. Just because a building or a group of people has church on the building or in their name doesn't necessarily mean they're part of the body of Christ. Can we agree on that? Like, I'm just going to pick on one. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. These are not part of the body of Christ. That's a whole other conversation. I can't get into it right now. But they don't trust Jesus alone for salvation. Let's just put it that way. Not actively following. Okay. We have to be part. How are we going to fulfill, contribute to the needs of the saints without being part of the church? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If we're living our lives in our house without contact to other believers, how are we going to do that? Live in harmony with one another. Paul's writing to a church, a body of Christ, part of the body of Christ, and he's saying live in harmony with one another. How do we live in harmony with one another if we're all separated? We can't. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Listen, love one another with brotherly affection. In verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. We can't do that if we're living separate lives, which brings me to a side note of, of this too. We can't gather together once a week and fulfill these for one hour. It's not just fulfilled in this gathering. Like we have to, we're not all gonna be involved in all of each other's lives in everything, right? Can we agree on that? I mean, it's just not possible. But as part of the body of Christ, there ought to be people that are part of the body of Christ that are intimately involved in your life and you're intimately involved in their lives. We need one another in a close-knit sort of way to fulfill these things. We cannot exist as Christians on an island by ourselves. We were not meant to. It's not what the analogy of the body of Christ shows us. So as the gospel grows us individually, it grows us together in these ways that are listed out. And as it grows us together, it grows us out. And here's what I mean. We also can't function as the body of Christ if we function that way simply in these church walls, this building. We're not, mentioned, we're, we're not meant to, to function just as the body of Christ here. The body, our connectedness goes outside and it should be evident to the people that we encounter around us. It lists love genuinely as the very first thing. And that's not just love each other genuinely, not just love the church genuinely, but love genuinely. Not love in such a way that like, I'm supposed to love them, but I don't really want to. No, it's, it's love generally. And here's the thing. You can't create this in you. Like, if you don't have love for other people, you can't drum that up in your own heart. So how does that happen? It happens when we see the gospel. Uh, we're told 1 John three sixteen: this you know what love is because he laid down his life for you. We know what love is because of the gospel, because Jesus laid down his life for our sake when we didn't deserve it. And as we grow in that, it creates and deepens a love for others. It ought to. If not, we're missing part of the gospel. It's rooted in love. But we can't create it. It works in us. So as we grow in the gospel, our love becomes genuine. Not something that we put on for face. Not something that we show because we're supposed to show it. We show it genuinely. And if that's a struggle, and that's got, that has to be one of the things you're in constant prayer about. I'm in constant prayer about. Help me to love not only us, but all of us people like Jesus has loved us. It says, show honor, show hospitality, it says. And here's the thing about hospitality there's a book uh, out right now called the gospel comes with a house key. Hospitality in this culture, in this setting, is not the same way that we think of hospitality. So it's not having people over to your house, asking, can I get you a drink? May I fix a plate for you? Um, Here, sit right here. This seat is yours. It's not simply bringing friends in and serving them. Hospitality in this setting was as strangers are coming through town, they would open their homes to them. They would bring them into their lives. Strangers. Because this is what the gospel has done. We were strangers and enemies of Christ, of the cross, and yet he brought us in as family. So when he says show hospitality, he's saying open up your lives to people that you don't know that are around you and bring them into your life. Now, I would say safety sure is a concern in this process. This practice is rare, I think, among us. And you can come and correct me if I'm wrong in that. I think generally we make practice, I hope, of inviting people into our homes that we know and that we're friends with or we're at least acquainted with that maybe we want to get to know better. But as far as seeking strangers out and inviting them in, sharing a meal and a conversation with them? I don't think we do that often. How else do we show the love of Christ if we're not inviting people, strangers into our lives that we don't know and showing them the love of Christ? How are they going to encounter the love of Christ? Hey, come to our church building. Well, I mean, that's not a bad thing. I'm never going to I'm never going to get on to any of us for saying, hey, come to church with me. And we ought to show hospitality in this place. I mean, cordiality and kindness and genuine love. But let's take a little risk. Not unsafe risk, but look for somebody to say, hey, man, I'd love to get to know you. Find a neutral place maybe. Maybe invite them into your home. Maybe have another couple over with you and invite two couples in that you don't know that you want to get to know to share the love of Christ with. Invite them in. Listen, they will think that it's weird probably. But I think as we're following Jesus, there should be an aspect to what we do that other people look at and say, that's a little strange. I don't see that very often. Why are they like that? Why do they do that? Let me tell you why. Because there's a Savior that exists that invited me in when I was his enemy. And he turned my life upside down in the best way possible. So I'm going to model that. I want you to know that. And I want you to see that in me. I'm going to show you that. And if it's weird, then let it be weird. But I'd rather be weird pointing people to Jesus than be real comfortable keeping him a secret. The gospel grows us out. I love the last verse of this, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Here's the reality. As we do this, there's going to be people that say, man, I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of being at your house for a meal. I don't want any part of that. I mean, there will be people that say, I just don't like you. Because X, Y, or Z things. Listen, that's fine, right? Some of you may not like me. Maybe you do right now, but listen, we still have time together. That's not a promise, okay? I'm just saying. Whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in at life, whatever disagreements that we have with people, whatever they may do wrong toward us, So far as it depends on you, you can't control other people's actions. You can't control how they view you, whether they like you or not. You only can control you. So, so far as it depends on you and me, live peaceably with all people. That means we show the love of Christ to anybody and everybody that we encounter regardless of how they treat us. We live peaceably with them. If they wrong us, it doesn't mean we wrong them back. We may really really want to. And you may even be in the right. But if it creates division and if it is going to illustrate even in the slightest sense a bad name for Jesus in the way that we respond when we want to and we our job is to make peace in the church outside of the church not to bring division now that doesn't mean in our culture that we fail to say what's true and right That doesn't mean we apologize for what's true and right, but it means as far as it depends on us. If you're going to speak the truth, speak the truth gently with love. Let love be genuine. But so far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. Listen, if that doesn't hit home for us, each one of us, in some way, shape, or form with some relationship that we have at home, outside of home, at work, In the community, if that doesn't hit home for you, I think you probably need to spend some time in prayer over it and say, God, show me where I need to go and make peace, be a peacemaker with somebody. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. (laughs) Lastly, I want to close with this piece of application for us. As we grow together in the gospel, as we weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, we live in harmony together. We don't think of ourselves better, more wise, higher status. We live and love genuinely. We are involved with one another. We serve one another in the church. By the way, how can you serve the church if you're not part of the church? That's another question. All of this, As we gather together. Whether it's here. Whether it's in village groups. Whether it's in Sunday school. Whether it's some special event that we have. May it never be said. I showed up. And nobody talked to me. May it never be said. Of anybody. In our presence. I showed up. Nobody even acknowledged that I was there. Guys that can't be I'm not saying that because somebody said that to me I'm just saying that because that that has to be if anything else that we get right it's like playing defense in basketball listen if you're not hitting shots if you can't handle the ball listen it may be one of those days but you always play defense listen if there's things that we're not getting right as a church that's one thing that we always have to get right that we that's easy to get right and find somebody on your way out as you come in, whenever it is that you're here. And say, I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm, I'm so glad you're here. And I love you. If you're not comfortable saying I love you, say whatever. But be genuine in it. But We've got to be a people that is, is kind and welcoming, living in harmony with one another. We've got to care about each other in this and then the extension of that being there's somebody who's not here like you look around and there's somebody that you don't see and you haven't seen them for a handful of weeks and reach out to them and we want you back they may not be able to be back for one reason or another man we're excited to see you we want to see you back not in a guilt trippy sort of way but just man we love having you as part of us We've got to love genuinely. The gospel is going to grow us up individually. It should grow us together as the body of Christ, seeking to accomplish the task of being a disciple who makes disciples glorifying God. And it grows us out into the community because we can't continue to make disciples if we're not reaching people. Amen? Hold on, let step back again. Let me try that again. Give you a redo. I know, I know saying amen may not be your cup of tea and it may be uncomfortable, uh, so even if you don't say it out loud, you need to be thinking it in your mind at least. If we're not reaching new people, we can't continue to make more disciples. Yes, there's an aspect of growing together in discipleship, but there's an aspect of going and telling and inviting other people to follow Jesus as well. That is part of the disciple-making process. We can't do that if we're not growing out as well we're not in charge of other people's salvation god is the only one in charge of that but we've got to do our part in sharing and going yes okay we're on the same page love it love it let's pray father god i thank you for this word i thank you for the challenge that many of these things present before us to actually live in them not to just know them not to just say yes that's good but to actually live out genuine love for all people got to actually live out not being haughty but associating with all got to live out hospitality beyond just the walls of our house or the walls of this building inviting other people into our lives that we may not even know that we just see from time to time. God, may we be people who are growing in the gospel so that we can glorify you and make disciples. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.